Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Man, good morning. Welcome to you. I'm really glad you're here. And uh, I firmly believe that that God's got a word for each and every one of us, whether we believe in God or not. Because we do understand that not everybody that enters the church believes in Jesus Christ. But I firmly believe that He's got a word for you. Um, I recently came across a story that I had read many, many, many years ago about crabbing. I've never been crabbing. Has anybody ever been crabbing in here? All right. There you go. Just a few of you. Was it in Alaska? Okay. So not, not on those big dangerous ships. But the story goes is that when you're crabbing and you catch a crab and you throw it in the basket, if you only have one crab, you have to have a lid on the basket because that crab will crawl out of the basket. But if you catch more than one crab, you better... You don't need a lid because if there's two or more crabs in the basket, the crabs themselves will begin to pull each other down and won't allow anyone to escape out of the basket. Have you ever had anyone in your life, maybe past or present, that has held you, bound you, pulled you down, from one, two, or a few of the decisions that you have made in your life, those choices that maybe in a moment you would regret, they hold you to those, those choices and those mistakes and those unproductive seasons of your life that when they speak to you, they remind you of those choices. Maybe they say something like, you're always going to be the same. Or people never change, and you can't either. You ever have those people in your life? Maybe you know them today, and they're still in your life because they're friend or they're family. Maybe it's the person that you see in the mirror that every time that you look at yourself or often look at yourself, you remind yourself of those choices and those mistakes. Or the fact that maybe those choices, you're still reaping the effects of the consequences, the repercussions of the consequences years later. Or it could be the antithesis. You had one of those shining moments. It was, it was 
it was one of those moments where you were almost like at your highest self. That you, you experienced the luminescence of a victory. That you were in your game. But ever since that moment or that period of time, it's just been a decline. And everybody reminds you of the glory day. That's now the good old day. That the best has already come and went. I want to remind you today, whether you're a teenager or whether you're in your 90s, you are more than a few of your moments. You are more than a few of your decisions. You are more than that not-so-shining moment or moments, and you are definitely more than that one-time victory or that one time where you were at your highest self. We're more than just a moment or two. You are more than just a choice or two or a mistake or two or three or in my case, a lot. You're more than that. This morning, I'd, I'd like us to turn into the Scripture to First Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament. First Chronicles chapter 28. And uh, if you have a Bible, um, go ahead and open there. You can use your Bible app if you don't have a Bible. There's a Bible in the pew. Hopefully there's one in the pew. Um, you can use that. And at the end of the day, when we all dismiss, I invite you to take that Bible with you. That's yours. Own it. It's yours from us to you. First Chronicles chapter 28, and I... As you're opening, I, I want to tell you kind of how we got here to this discussion today. A couple months ago, um, I was holding a biblical figure to a moment or two, and I wanted to understand that biblical figure a little bit deeper. The biblical figure is an Old Testament figure by the name of Saul. Not to be confused with the New Testament, Saul. I had this understanding of Saul as... He was the example of what not to do in leadership, what not to do in life, and what not to do when following God. And as I was reading his story, I was definitely affirmed in that. He's a great example of what not to do. But as you read his story, as it unfolds in the book of 1 Samuel, we learn and we see how his life is actually interconnected with this other biblical figure by the name of David. Now, if you're unfamiliar with David, or if you need a reminder, we understand that this David, we often point to the fact that he was A, a shepherd, who was called to be king. And he was of the fame of slaying Goliath, taking off his head. And the fame of Bathsheba, the adulterous choice that he made with one of his soldiers' wives. We often hold him to those moments, and I was looking at Saul's life and David's life, and I saw how Saul's life at the very end of his life was an undignified moment. In comparison, where we're going is 1 Chronicles chapter 28. It's David's last moment. 
his final days, where his borrowed breath is about to be recalled. And this is contrast to Saul. This is a moment of dignity and respect. A passing of the baton, if you will. So, let's jump there. First Chronicles chapter 28. And if I misread anything, forgive me because my contacts are giving me some fits today. Verse 1, 1 Chronicles chapter 28. David summoned all the officials of Israel to assemble at Jerusalem, the, the officers over the tribes, the commanders of the divisions in the service of the king, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of all the property and livestock belonging to the king and his sons together in the palace with the palace officials, the mighty men, and all the brave warriors. There were a lot of people, lots of folks. King David rose to his feet and said, listen to me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. If you don't know what that is, just think Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, or the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it was kind of that, that, that Ark was a symbol of what this is that David, or David is talking to, talking about. He said, I had it in my heart to build a house as a place of rest for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the footstool of our God, and I made plans to build it. But God said to me, You're not, you are not to build a house for my name because you are a warrior and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from my whole family to be king over Israel forever. He chose Judah as leader. And from the house of Judah, he chose my family. And from my father's sons, he was pleased to make me king over all Israel. All of my sons, and the Lord has given me many. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. I will establish his kingdom if he is unswerving in carrying out my commands and laws, as, in, as is being done at this time. So then he speaks to the crowd, and he says to them, So I charge you in the sight of all Israel and the assembly of the Lord, and in the hearing of our God, be careful to follow all the commands of the Lord your God, that you may possess this good land and pass it on as an inheritance to your descendants forever. I want you to focus in on the next several sentences. This is what we're going to, to land today. Listen to what he says to his son. And you, my son, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him wholehearted, with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. If you seek Him, He will be found for, by you. But if you forsake Him, 
He will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a temple as a sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. Jump over to verse 20, because he continues to say some important words to his son. David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. Heavenly Father, as we allow you and the Word of God to unpack our hearts, may may we be willing participants. May we be willing, as David charged his son to be willing, to listen to you and to carry out the word that you have encouraged us with today and challenged us with. And Lord, I ask that you speak through me. But even if I fumble and bumble and mess things up, it's you that speaks. May we hear your voice and apply that to our life. It's in your name, Jesus, that we ask today. Amen. Those words, those words that that David imparted to his son publicly, words of life, words of encouragement. And he gave him a little fair warning. And I wondered, how in the world was David able to speak these words to his son? You ever see athletes and musicians and people who have the strong character and integrity wealth far beyond in life and you you admire that and you you just kind of I wish I had just a little bit of what they have but rarely do we ever ask the question how did they get there what did they do in their life to be able to be this athlete or this musician or this poet or this actor or this leader This man or woman of integrity, Lincoln's asking that question right now. Is that Lincoln or Autumn? Uh, Autumn's asking that question right now. Very rarely do we wonder the origin. And I ask that question, how is David able to impart these words of wisdom to his son at this point in life where they were genuine, they were wholehearted, If you know anything about David's story, or if you don't know anything about David's story, David's story starts to unfold in the book of 1 Samuel. I believe it's chapter 16. And Samuel, the author of 1 Samuel, pens the first time that Samuel actually met David. Samuel, a prophet, and a priest, and a judge, was called by God to go to the house of Jesse, that would be David's dad, to anoint a new king over Israel. And when Samuel arrives to the house, Samuel sees Eliab, one of Jesse's sons. Surely this is the guy. This is the A-team. But as Samuel was going down the list of sons, Seven of them, in fact. He was left wondering, hey, Jesse, do you have any other kids? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. 
I have one. His, his name's David. He's out hanging out with the sheep. Call him in. And in the moment, Samuel anointed David as king over Israel. He was going to take the reins from Saul at a later time. David is the eighth son. I can imagine how dinner was around the table. He got the scraps. He had to fight for what he had, right? His father didn't think enough of his youngest son to think that maybe this kid would be the one that's called. It was everybody else. Fast forward to 1 Samuel chapter 17. David's dad says, David, come here. I need you to be Uber Eats for your, your brothers. So David becomes, yeah, an Uber, taking food to the front lines of war for his older brothers. And when he gets to the front lines, his older brothers continue with the mindset of their father. What are you doing here? They essentially accuse him of being nosy and a busybody, conceit, conceited and wicked. But David delivers not only the food, but he delivers the Israelite people from fear and a Philistine army. So much so that with Goliath's head on a platter, the rest of the Israelite armies go chasing after the Philistines. His father and his seven brothers didn't believe in their own little brother, enough to think that he was amounting to anything. How in the world was David able to impart these words of wisdom to his son in his last days? There's another story that we hold David to. It's that story of one choice leading to another choice that's an avalanche of choices. On the day where the kings went off to war, David stayed home and slept, right? David stayed home when he should have been to war, leading his military. And as he was idle, not doing much, he steps out on his balcony and sees this beautiful young lady bathing. Choice after choice after choice, small snowball coming to an avalanche of other choices, leading to an adulterous moment with Bathsheba, leading to premeditated murder of her husband, leading to a whole year of silence between he and God. Until God used the prophet, Nathan, to confront David in a clever way. Opening his chest cavity and revealing the burden and the fact that he's been buried by all of the choices that he made when he should have gone out to war. See, I think for us, if, if you, you're in the church at any time, and you learn about this guy, David, those are the scenarios, those are the situations, those are the stories that we hold him to. The shining moments and the not-so-shining moments. That he's no more than those. So how in the world can David, 
this king, at the end of his days, many of us sitting here think the end of our days are way far away from us. However, the end of your days can be today. Let's just keep that in perspective. But at the end of his days, as he's standing publicly in front of everybody and his son beside, he says these words. Acknowledge God. There was a time, son, that I didn't acknowledge God. There was a time that I pushed God aside and chose some things that I'm still reaping the repercussions even to this day in our family. You've seen it. Acknowledge God. Seek Him. Because there was a time I didn't. If you seek Him, he'll, you'll find Him. How in the world is David able to stand there with his son? And it dawned on me. This guy, David, is just like you and me. There are people in our life, in the basket of our life, pulling us down. We're trying to escape this basket, and they keep pulling us, pulling us down. Just like David's dad. Just like David's brother. And then, David's a lot like us, where we shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes. Where we make a choice and a decision in the moment, thinking this is what we want. This is what I want. But we realize after we make the choice, there's a lot of fallout that happens. He's a lot like us. How was he able to say these words to his son? Acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion. David made a huge mistake. How can he say to his son, serve God with wholehearted devotion if he made that huge mistake which led to the death of of one of his soldiers and a huge cover-up. One reason and one reason only. David owned it. David owned it. Now, all of us have scars. I have a scar on my knee from when I tried to jump the fence when I was like 10 and missed the height and scraped my knee. All of us have physical scars from wounds of the past that have healed. Because isn't that a miraculous thing about the body? It can heal over time. But there are also scars that we have that were inflicted on us by other people in our life. That on the surface, there's scars, but they're gaping wounds on the inside, are they not? 
And every now and then we're reminded of that gaping wound. We're reminded of the pain. We're reminded of the hurt inflicted on us by someone else. Yeah, at a moment we were victim. But years later, we're still reaping the fallout, the avalanche. David's own father didn't believe him. David's own family didn't think much of him. But yet, at some point, the pain, the fallout, the hurt, lack of belief from his own family, David owned the pain. Here's the thing about being a victim when we're years later, when we've been a victim. When we believe ourselves to be a victim long enough, we believe that our healing is contingent on the one that victimized us, that hurt us, that mistreated us, that thought less of us. But at some point, we have to own the pain. We have to own the suffering. We have to own the implications and fallout of that. Not the behavior, but we have to own it and acknowledge it. And once we own it, once we own it, we're free to heal. You are free to heal. David owned it. The other thing that David did was he owned his choice. He owned the decisions that he made when he was supposed to go off to war. That led to his eyes seeing this bathing beauty, which led to finding out who she is, which led to inviting her to his house, which led to whatever happened that night, which led to calling that woman's husband from war home so he could cover up the fact that she was pregnant. And when that man had honor and integrity and honesty and didn't sleep with his wife because he felt he should be on the front line, David sent him back to the front lines and told everybody to withdraw so that he would die. It's all a cover-up. At some point, David was confronted with this. And he owned it. When Nathan came face to face with David, he owned the choice. He owned the sin. He owned the intentions. He owned the premeditated murder. He owned the death. He owned it. Psalm 32, Psalm 51, those two psalms tell us of what happened on the inside of David as a result of his sin and his mistakes, but also as a result of grace. See, God handles, God handles our sin by forgiving us, right? But our forgiveness doesn't make us less. It actually makes us more. 
David owned the choice. David owned the fallout, the consequences. I think sometimes we get really angry with God. Because He might take away our sin and grace us, but He doesn't take away the consequences. We just go, why aren't you taking that away too? Well, that's the power of your choice, isn't it? That's the power of your choice. That's the power of free will that God gives us. So, today, very simply, I challenge you to own. To own it. That is the most courageous and extraordinarily humble things you can do. And one of the most powerful things you can do. There's a story in the New Testament. Jesus is risen from the dead on that resurrection Sunday. He kind of walks, he walks through walls. His disciples and many of the followers are in the room. And if I were one of them, I'd probably pee my toga. Jesus is coming through the wall. What in the world? And he says, peace be with you. And he, he breathes on them and they receive the Holy Spirit. And he, he said, I'm sending you. But there was a disciple that wasn't there. Thomas. We, we give him a bad rap because we call him the doubter, right? I, I call him a heroic pessimist. I like to be a little positive, right? Thomas wasn't there. And later, he actually gathers with the rest of the crew. And they said, hey, we saw Jesus. Resurrected Jesus. And maybe this is where that doubter comes into play. He said, unless, unless I see his scars, unless I can put my finger where the nails were, I won't believe it. I ain't going to believe it. A week later, Jesus shows up again through the wall. Locked doors. They were afraid. They were afraid what would happen to Jesus would happen to them. They were afraid. And he shows up. He speaks directly to Thomas. He says, peace be with you. Because Thomas's brain was racked of all the events that were happening. This is the guy I gave my life to. And he was dead. You expect me to believe that he's risen? No, 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 no. Jesus, peace be with you. And then Jesus offers up his scars. He says, Thomas, put your finger here. Right where the nails were. Hey, Thomas, put your hand in my side where they pierced it. Stop doubting and believe. In other words, Jesus said, Hey, Thomas, I'm owning my scars. I own them. They were inflicted by other people. 
but I'm going to own them for you. And I need you to own my scars. Thomas, I need you to put your finger where those nails were. Own my scars because they're for you. And because I own my scars, here comes the healing of all humanity. Because I've owned my scars. Thomas, I need you to own them with me. Folks, today, it doesn't matter the past. The crab's trying to pull you down. Those not-so-shining moments or the pinnacle shining moments. You're more than just a few. You're a life full. But today, the challenge is to own. It may have been done to you, and you're dealing with the repercussions. Or you may have chosen A, B, C, all the way through double Z. And you're reaping those benefit or those consequences and those repercussions. But today, your freedom is in owning it. Don't hide any longer. Because once you begin to own them, healing begins to happen in you. And God can use that to heal other people. That's, that's the first thing. Second thing is, own Jesus' scars. They're His, but for you. That's where our healing happens. In the person. In the choices of Christ. There's a line in the story that we read. David said, but God said to me, you're not to build a house for my name because you're a warrior and have shed blood. But Jesus, the mighty warrior, shed his own blood that you and me might be warriors covered in his blood who fight from victory one when he shed his blood own his scars today would you mind bowing your heads and your hearts What is it that you need to own? Just think through. What are those few moments that people filter your life through or that you filter your life through that pull you down? What is that pain that you're experiencing 
day in and day out that you're reminded of. Whether it was inflicted by someone or by your own self. What do you got to own today? What sin do you need to own today? You're face to face with it. Your heart shows it. You've been burdened, buried by that avalanche of choices and sin. David could say the words he said to his son because he owned it. God's grace covered him. So, whatever it is that has come to mind, I just encourage you now to share that with Christ. To share that with God Almighty. God, I own this. I own it. I own my choice. I own the consequences. And I own the wounds and the, and the scars left behind from someone else inflicting it on me. Let them know. Tell them. Jesus, today we, we thank you for the choice you made. It wasn't an easy choice at all. You wrestled with it in the garden. You struggled with it. It tore you up on the inside. Yet you concluded that this was the only way. This is what God had for you and had for us. And you chose to allow your blood to be shed. No one took your life from you. You gave your life for us. And it is by your blood, Jesus, that we are covered when we ask for forgiveness. It is grace that washes us and cleanses us. And Lord, so today we declare that we own your scars. We own the holes in your wrists and in your feet. And that hole in your side, we own it. Because we definitely believe that from you comes our healing, Jesus. That you can make new what was broken. So Lord, today we own it. We declare that. And we thank you for granting us freedom because it is for freedom that you died. I love you, Jesus. Will you cover us all? It's in your name we ask today. Amen. Would you please stand? And I'd like to invite Nathan. Come on up, bro. You listen to Nathan's voice, he had an extra dose of puberty. Man, it's so deep. Bro, 
can you, can you send us out, my friend? I love you, man. We love you, folks. Have a great week. May you love the Lord with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength. And will you please love your neighbor as yourself? Have a great week, y'all. We'll see you. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Nas podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you, and that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.